another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a rare, rare, rare part two, but one that is so warranted, one with the one, the only, Jerry A. from Poison Idea. Yes, that's right, Jerry's back. And believe me, much like the Lars part two, much like a couple other part twos, MVP, Zach Blair part two, this might be better than the original. I'll let you judge that. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That's an email address answered by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, who also runs a Facebook page over at facebook.com slash turnoutapunk, where you can see stuff that gets posted up there and he answers questions on there and talks to people and... All that sort of stuff gets messages to me. If you'd like to follow me, I'm on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it, writing a review, rating it, telling all your friends, tell everyone that you know that you think is going to like this thing about this thing. And that's how we spread the word. Also, speaking of support, this thing would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard. Uh, like a while ago now, actually, and just said, we like what you do. Keep doing it. Just don't lose money on it anymore. And I was like, that sounds awesome to me. I can book who I want. You know, they bring me out to those House of Vans parties once in a while. It, it's a it's a win-win. It's a win-win. So thank you so much to everyone at Vans and House of Vans for continuing to support this here podcast. Today on the show... I'm trying to think if there's any more housekeeping or should I just dive in. Today on the show, it's a huge one. Sorry, my voice is a little messed up. Uh, we, we I played some shows. I was up late. It's, it's a combination of factors getting to me. Uh, big things in the works, though, for Turn Out of Punk. Like, I got, I got you know, um, some big choices to make right now. And so, pretty excited. But that has nothing to do with today's episode. So, I'm just going to skip on to today's episode. Today on the show... That's right. Jerry A. is back again. Now, there is a reissue. Like, this is warranted by, well, for no other reason than he's my favorite vocalist of all time or one of my favorite vocalists of all time. And uh, the other thing that happened, though, that really necessitated him coming back is there is now an incredible reissue of, in my opinion, the greatest hardcore record ever. I think I could stand by that. Well, one of them, one of them. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to stand by that. Uh, Feel the Darkness has been reissued finally. Uh, You can get it now on American Leather. The vinyl looks incredible. There's like some metallic inks on there. It's a double LP. There's a live set, all these bonus tracks. There's also a CD of it. It's on streaming services. And so if 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 you've never checked out this record, now there is no excuse because... This thing kills. It is such a classic. So Jerry and I talked, and I'm like, you got to come back on. And finally it happened, and here it is. This is a an awesome part two, worthy of an amazing original. If you have not listened to the original, go back and listen to that, because that's going to give you a little bit of context, and we get all that sort of, you know, how'd you get into punk stuff out of the way there. And now it's just on to me nerding the fuck out. There is some awesome stuff in this one. I'm not going to blather on anymore. I'm going to let you kind of dive in and enjoy this thing. Uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be so much stuff for Chris and I to get into on the footnotes episode for this. Oh man. Oh man. Okay. That's it for me. 
Uh, oh, uh, before I let you listen to the show, I want to say quickly, thank you to everyone who sent out kind notes and condolences and everything, um, in regards to the passing of my stepmom, Wenda Thompson. Uh, if you are looking for a way, some people did ask how they could support and donate. I'll have charity information that she supported next week and you can go out and support that. And I'll, I'll probably talk about this a little bit more in the coming weeks because, um, I think it's important to talk about this stuff, but, uh, for now, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's sent those messages and they are very much appreciated and that's it. Okay. So uh, everyone, please sit back, relax and enjoy the one, the only Jerry A for a rare part two on Turned Out a Punk. Jerry, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Damien. It's a pleasure to be back. I've been waiting with bated breath. Well, I so have I, my friend. Trust me, because this is, uh, you know, this is like one of the rare times where I've been like, okay, I got to do a part two immediately because there's so much I forgot to ask you or we didn't get time to talk about the first time. So I'm glad we made this happen. Right. Well, honestly, I mean, you know, we, you and me could be in a room and, and we could talk for a week straight about everything. There's so many questions that just... They, they lead off one, you know, one topic leads into another one and we just go on and on and on. It's just, we're, we're those kind of people. Well, it's funny cause like, you know, after we did the episode, you know, I have this follow up podcast called Turn Out of Punk Footnotes where we just kind of like dissect every episode as much as possible and just kind of get into like the nerdy kind of minutia and me and Chris O'Toole, the co-host just had so much to get into and we kind of came to this epiphany that you know, you guys really were, you know, and I might have even told you this in some sort of variation of it, but you guys really were the first of, like, people that seemed to have a global appreciation of this music and a global understanding of this music. And, like, right across the board, as I was telling you just before we went to air, you guys were into everything good. Like, stuff that the rest of the world took years to catch up to, you guys seem to have your finger on at basically the same time it's coming out. Well... I mean, that's the thing about music, and that's the thing about, about good music. It's it's universal, and it, it you know I've I've said that when we first that was the great thing about music is I I couldn't speak the language of wherever we were going, but you could play a Ramon song and they would nod their head yes, they knew exactly <laughs> what it was, and they knew, and that was like communicating and um, you know, music is it's if it's good, it's great, and um. It's been been that way, you know. Look at look at the impact, you know, rock and roll has had on the world. For, you know, they make statues of Elvis and, you know, wherever. It's like so. Yeah, it's universal. It's like it just a, it's a feeling that emotes a, an emotion and a feeling, and you can't, you know, you can't bottle it. You can't package it. It's just it's just a it's like a spirit. It's it's incredible. And, um, yeah, and we've always been, you know, we, we knew that, and um, that's what got us off. We always knew that this this thing is like it's like channeling magic. <laughs> One band in particular, like, where did you guys hear about like Antidote? Like, where was? Because I can't imagine that was being reviewed a lot of places. Was it just through reviews or? Yeah, well, you know, Maximum did review everything. They really did. People would send them, and and you know, despite whatever political stuff is, you know, that's for everyone to make up their own opinion, but um, they reviewed everything. And like Jeff Bell, Biafra, when he wrote with them, um, you know, 
Tim and Pasta, even Pasta, all those people, mm-hmm. they 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 wrote that. And we, if if they said it was great, and they weren't afraid to pull punches too. If stuff sucked, they would say it sucked. Yeah. But to me, that even sounded like you know that you know I I don't think stuff sucks like say like crime or something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't suck, but it's like it's a. Oh, I don't know. I, I listened to this record this morning. I got this single, Gino and the Goons. Okay. From like Florida, I think it is. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I played it on my podcast. And I was like, you know, hey, who needs crime? Here it is again. Sounds like the drummer's playing like against the band. You know? <laughs> Sounds like he's playing like, you know, like either like a half step behind or like trying to throw them off. And I love that stuff. I, I really, really, that stuff is to me is so interesting when stuff slows up and speeds up and, you know, I just love that. That's so, that's, I, anybody can, you know, play to a click track and make stuff perfect, but to get it really, you know, and that's what Maximum Rock and Roll, they were, they were, you know, they were like, this is great. This is great. And we would, we would find it. We would find it. That was when you, you know, you had to send it away money orders or whatever and wait six months, but um, it was worth it. We'd put our time in and we, we got all that stuff, um, you know, there was all sorts of myself. I like the finish stuff. I really like the finish, all the old finish. And, um, you know, Tom liked Dutch, German. Japan was kind of, I mean, they, they took a little while to catch up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know. What was the first band? Like the, the plastics? Well, there's the plastics, and there's like um, the mirrors, too. Yeah, they were kind of like rocky, right? Yeah. They, they, like leather jackets and stuff. Yeah, and then there, and then, and I guess the Stalin after that. But you're right. Like the Stalin, even you know, there's an ineptness, but there doesn't have the raging that kind of shows up a little bit later on. Right. Even Gizem, right. like Gizem's not like Gizem's awesome, but like Gizem's not like, you know, Deathside or or Bastard or something. Right. Yeah. You know, honestly, I it took me a while for Gizem. I was just like. Yeah, I was like, "This is heavy metal." <laughs> yeah, and I said that, and I said I walked into a room, and they were people were just going crazy about it. First, when that first twelve inch came out, I think we got it directly from Pusshead. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if is that on the record collectors? Was that out? Is that on the sleeve? I don't, I don't think that's on the sleeve, right? Because that well, eighty three, you guys took that photo, and that yeah. record, that record's I don't know, is I don't, but I don't think it's on the sleeve. It's not on the list. I don't think. Oh, it's on the Kings of Punk one though. Oh no, I know, but it's not, not on the list. I'm sorry of, of the the records on the cover. I'm looking right. up at the cover right now too, and I don't see it right here. Yeah. But the stuff that like blew me away and blew us away that we were talking about that was on there is like obviously that antidote record, but like shit like the United Mutation Seven, which is such a, like an obscure part of the Discord kind of like story, but like what an amazing chapter of that story. Oh yeah. That that's that's one of their best records. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the best things. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you know when when labels like that would come out, whatever, like Discord, we would get every single thing they had. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that was, yeah. So that was great. I'm I'm just thinking. My my head's right now. I'm thinking about all these different labels and all the different things on them, and, and all you know. I'm thinking of like a. Teddy and the Frat Girls on uh, Alternative Tentacles and how cool that is, but that didn't come out. So, and like Blowfly and stuff. Yeah. And what a great, you know, label that was. But Discord for doing, 
you know, they, they, they even did split stuff with like, you know, uh, Iron Cross and stuff mm-hmm. and um, all sorts of stuff. But we, you know, you get something that's good and you stick with it and you know it's not going to disappoint you. And it really never disappointed. Touch and go, never disappointed. Um, you know, all the old stuff like that was, it was good. This shit was pure back then. So it was great. Yeah. Like, but I think the thing that's interesting about, you know, a label like Alternative Tentacles versus a label like, you know, early Discord or early Touch and Go is like those labels had really kind of defined sounds almost, you know, like you can, you can say like, you know, obviously all those bands didn't sound the same, but like they're, they're sonically, you know, going for a similar thing. Whereas like a label like Danger House or Alternative Tentacles, as you mentioned, like there's just so much weirdness in that catalog. Right. Well, isn't that because uh, Discord had their in-house producer for everything? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> has a sonic similarity for a reason. A sonic calling card. Right. Right. Um. What? Uh, I. This brings up a question that I wanted to ask. What was the? Uh, what was the deal between your band and Ian Mackay? You know what? Honestly, I've been asked this a few times on different, different things, and I've always said the same thing. It was kind of a joke. We totally appreciate his integrity, and I I like Minor Threat. I do like Minor Threat. You know, I maybe if, if anything, maybe I'm a classist. Maybe I have a thing about people who have money, you know, growing up completely shit poor. Um, that could be the only thing I think of. We, It was just a piss take. It was just a joke. We never had anything against Ian, but <laughs> – <laughs> once we did that, but once we did that, it took on a life of its own, and it just kept going and snowballing. And um, those people didn't like it at all. They didn't like it at all. Henry Rollins didn't like it. He even spoke a couple of years ago. He said somebody asked him something about it, and he was like, "You tell him when I see him, I'm going to twist off his ears. <laughs> He's going to twist off my ears." But you're a grown man, and you're a fucking actor. You're an actor. You get I'm like, really? I'm like, you know, come on. It's like, you know, I, I like, I like Ian McKay. I like, you know, it's, it had nothing to do. It was just a, it was like a joke on the, you know, the straight edge thing and stuff. We were a bunch of drunks and we thought it was funny. And, um, and then once they started like really get, you know, sometimes they would get really offended and sometimes they would just like ignore it and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But if people, but if people kept asking them, they would like, you know, it's like, it's been seven years. Why can't they just give it up? Why can't they just stop it? You know, it's like, it's like, we weren't doing it. We didn't care. I didn't, we did it one time. Then the next day we forgot about it. We were onto something else. <laughs> I'm like fucking with somebody else, you know? But after a while, I remember pig like comes to me. And he's like, he's like, these guys, they're like, really, they're the, he's like, it's time to turn up the heat on Ian McKay. Once again. <laughs> he actually said that he's like, these guys are really taking this. He's like, he's like, I forgot all about this, but these guys are like making a big deal. It's like, it's time to turn up the heat. <laughs> I was like, just let it go. It was like, fuck. He's like, they didn't do nothing to us. I mean, I, I you know, Fugazi's a, you know, whatever, but, uh, <laughs> minor threat, Ian, all of his stuff. I, I have nothing against those guys at all. I never do. But you know, like I said, it would it'd be nice to, you know, if my parents bought me a fucking house when I was 18 and shit and had me, you know, I heard I heard a rumor that at one point you were going to send him uh, a so-called uh, I think they were called super beers. I heard. 
No, we would have drank those. <laughs> what What isn't a super beer for the people that don't know what that is? A super beer? I mean, we would never go through the problem of packaging up and, you know. Tom actually did something to Rollins once. He When he was on the cover of Maximum Rock and Roll, with that, that one where it had him like bald on one side and then with the hair on the other side. Yeah. Tom would uh, – he would like Xerox him and like write all this stuff on him, like Vidal ba- baboon and all this kind of shit. And and Henry got really mad. It was just like a it was just like a prank. It was like a mail prank. Prank. And I was like, why are you going through this problem of sending this guy letters to Tom? You know, he liked doing that. He would get on CBs and fuck with people and just like <laughs> agitator. He was like a like a prankster. But um, I it would mean I just never liked it. I was I didn't like confrontation with these people and uh. It didn't, just didn't seem, you know, like constructive, and I, I didn't really care. But uh, yeah, these, you know, if you just ignore it, it makes the problem go away, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, that's with the president here too. If people would ignore that guy and not give him his, you know, he would that would blow his mind. That would totally blow his mind. But people like you know, oh, have you heard what he done? And they freak out. And then he loves that shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it's kind of like the same thing with you know I don't know <laughs> I'm not going to mention any more names. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard I heard actually on the cover of uh, Feel the Darkness on the back cover, uh, the beer that's being drunk isn't actually in Old English. It's like Old English gone flat, and then the rest is filled with Night Train. Is that true? Oh well, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do that to like you know. To, to kick your beer and, and to, you know, kick you, kick your beer into gear. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, you know, Damien, I don't want to get like to the pro drug thing. But, no, uh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. But we, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, I think there was like a, a book or something about, um, these, uh, people in Europe who were in power like years ago who used to be really decadent and do crazy things. So we got into all that stuff. We got into all that, uh, you know, brandy enemas with a <laughs> different thing. And we would like just see how far we could push it to like see before our, our faces totally peeled off. And uh, yeah, we, we took it to, you know, well, you know, people started dying. So we kind of stopped yeah. it. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, when I was in tour Australia with the hard ons, my, uh, my bar trick was to slam a complete, like a fifth of bourbon in one drink. And oh. I, I yeah, and I used to do that all the time, and that was that was quite the rush, you know. So, uh, yeah, I actually did it in Eugene, Oregon, at the spot we played at the Animal House, where John, where they did did the movie, and where John Belushi chugged that fifth of Jim Beam. I stood in that same spot. They were tearing down that house, and Poison Idea played played like a party at the house before they tore it down and made like condos. And I stood in that spot and chugged a fifth of, uh, like, Jim, what was it? Like, Evan Williams in one drink, one drink. So, uh, Wow. I, th- I, I can't think of a more fitting band to play that house before it gets destroyed than Poison Idea, though. Yeah, that, that, was, that was great. That was an honor. Yeah, absolutely. There's, a, there's few, few bands that can live up to that legacy of destruction <laughs> in the same way. Um, Back to like when I really wanted to get into recording Feel the Darkness and kind of like that whole kind of period with you because we didn't really get a chance to talk about it last time and now there's the incredible reissue that's coming out and stuff like that. And I think 
that to me is, you know, not only my favorite Poison Idea record, but I think like one of the best hardcore records ever, like the high watermark for the genre. And I just kind of wanted to find out like, you know, first, like, what was your mentality going in to record that record? Because it's an interesting time for music. It's just kind of pre-grunge happening, but it's like the heights of, of glam metal. Uh, so what was the, you know, the mentality going into that album? Well, you know, it, it was like looking at the cover of record collectors and all the stuff we had on that, you know, it was like Motorhead. And then like we talked about, we uh, Gizm came out later and um, just everything we everything that influenced us, we listened to everything and I still do. And it's just stuff that got us off. And um, those were the songs that we wrote. And, you know, I remember being on tour and... Um, uh, Sub Pop wanted we're doing the singles of the month club, and they want we were like in Chicago, and they said, um, you know, yeah, they whatever called us, emailed us, whatever you had back in those days, not email, but whatever, and um, yeah, faxes, faxes, right? So yeah. they were gonna they were gonna do a single for us for you know the single of the month club, and um, we had a song that Tom would go, yeah, just use this song, and I remember going, eh, you know, it's a single, it's a single give me a second. And I walked in the other room and I, and I wrote, um, you know, taken by surprise because I thought that sounded like a single. That sounded like something you should like as a single, it's like kind of poppy, kind of cool, but still kind of, and you know, it took like 10 minutes to write that song, but, um, I was just like, here, here's the single. So just like, you know, whatever, feel the darkness was kind of a personal song. Plastic bomb was this, the badge was a real, you know, personal song about cops and, and just everything, they're all what we were into at the time and how we were feeling at the time. And obviously we were feeling pissed off and amped, you know, so. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fun record to make. It was a really fun record to make. I think the thing about it that's awesome is that it's a record, too. Like, it starts with, like, an intro and Feel the Darkness as the last track. It, it really feels like an extra song. Like, you know, it, it feels like you're on a journey throughout the whole thing. Um, was that a conscious thing? Like, did you kind of have you know plastic bomb especially the piano intro mapped out at the beginning and then to end with feel the darkness right from the get-go or is that something when you're listening to songs back that's decided yeah it was when we listened to them back you know we weren't that you know we we're not turbo negro we didn't <laughs> we didn't we take like schools out and try to rewrite it completely you know like, <laughs> you know and that's you know that's what their records are. They just completely just like take like a, a rock opera and just, you know, I mean, God, that one song is like a dictator song, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, no, we, we just thought how they would sound a lot of times when we write out songs on records or songs on set lists, we would see what, what note they ended on and what the next song, um, started with. So it kind of flows like mm -hmm. if it ends, if it ends on, you know, an A or whatever, pick a song that, and, and you can just feel it. You can just hum the end of the song. We would do that all the time. You just hum the end of it and you go, like, what would sound good right there? You know, what would sound, you know, and just, you can hear it. You can hear it just so it all flows together. You know, the way like Plastic Bomb goes into deep sleep, that's like perfect. You know? Perfect. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, it's one of the great one, two punches. Yeah. Um, was there like ever talk of, like you mentioned Sub Pop, 
you know, and they did the single. Was there ever talk of trying to do a record with Sub Pop, or were they interested in signing you guys? Because you always, you know, you wind up on cool labels, but they're always, you know, different labels. Well, you know, we did that. We did that single right before they broke, right before they got any money, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> we played up in Seattle. I forgot where it was, like a bumper shoot or something. And um, we did the single of the month thing, and, and uh, they never paid us. They never <laughs> paid us, and it was really cheap too. It was only like you know whatever, four hundred bucks or something. Yeah. It wasn't that much. But um, I remember Bruce Pavitt came to our show, and he was like, he was like, "Hey guys," he's like, "Here's my check from McDonald's or wherever he was working." He's like, "I can sign this over to you right now, or you can, you know, you can just give me a break and let me pay my rent." And and I'll just and Tom just like just sign it and give it to us. <laughs> and he's like really? He's like really? And he's like yeah. He's like you know you almost give it to us. And so he did. And then um yeah that was it. You know. So uh, I felt kind of bad about it because he was really <laughs> they weren't you know they weren't rich but uh that's just you know <laughs> it's a game. Yeah. But ultimately I guess there weren't you know the feelings weren't that hard between you guys because you know they did do pig's last stand a few years later i think that was kind of their way of getting back at that as you know it's like it's like it's like finally you know he's the last show who's got the last <laughs> yeah no they're, they're, i mean good for them you know good for them they, they they just happened to be in a spot at a time when there was a lot of great stuff going on and they you know they reaped reaped it what was it like kind of being, you know, you know, like at that moment where everything starts exploding kind of all around you guys? Were there major labels coming towards you too? Or was it like something where obviously you're doing something, you know, way better in my opinion, but like a lot heavier than all these other bands? Yeah. I mean, we weren't commercial. There, there's no way. I mean, that stuff was not happening, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was like, I mean, like the Gits were up there at the same time too. and They were absolutely fantastic and they were they would you know they were like too too hardcore for like commercial and and they you listen to that now and you can hear that on like a you know yamaha commercial or whatever yeah, yeah. it's like it's like great that's like was such beautiful music and um you know no it's like i i remember <clears throat> seeing seeing the showcases for the bands and the stuff and it was you know i, I remember seeing alice in chains and they were doing like these synchronized like warrant kicks, like all three of them in the front, like doing the one, two, three kick, and like yeah. the that's the jump going down their knees. And I was like, "Who the fuck is this?" And I was like, "Allison Chains." So I'm like, "These guys suck." I was like, "These guys are horrible." Like that, and then then, then a year later, here were these cats with like dreadlocks and ripped up jeans, like ah, you know. And I was like, "That's the same band I saw wearing the spandex." And shit? It's like, you know, it's like. I don't know. I guess you got to do what you got to do to pay the rent, but you, you should like be able to look at yourself in the mirror the next morning and be true self, you know? Well, I think that's why your band gets... Is that too... Is that too- no, no, I, <laughs> I agree. Like, I think, I think that's why your band gets so much respect is because you guys, you know, progress sonically, but at the same time, never let people down. Like, there's never a moment in your catalog where someone's going to be like, yeah, that... Uh, they, 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 you know jump the shark at that point like who knows what they were thinking yeah yeah well you know what even the the last thing that's kind of why i wanted to stop because after it's confusing conquer i was just like that's this is a really good record this is just as good to me you know so 
I was happy with it. And, um, you know, after a couple of years of just kind of going through the motions and stuff, I just decided to throw some cold water on my face and get back to what really, you know, got me going in the first place. And, and we, you know, played four or five years of just being, you know, playing basement shows after to, you know, at the end of our tenure, we, uh, you know, we were back to our roots again and it felt great to go back there, you know, mm-hmm. when you guys were we making any money, but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, that's unfortunately the reality of, of, you know, if you're Alice in Chains and you don't have that ability to look yourself in the mirror, you can make that, that, that dough. Right. That's true. Um, where, when you, um, when you guys were doing feel the darkness and, and touring out after that and doing that American tour, were you getting slotted on bills at all with any heavy metal bands because of the leads and, and sort of like, you know, the, the power of the record? No, you know, the only place that we ever kind of got metal stuff, it was the crossover stuff in California because they were, you know, they were really into that shit down there with like the alchemy stuff, like with like, you know, sacrilege or mm-hmm. all the East Bay, the East Bay thrash stuff. You know, Christ on Parade, um, you know, uh, what's it, Doctor No, that kind of stuff. And to me, I mean, okay, they were like skate punk guys at one time, but that was still pretty metal, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. So, and, and you know what? It's really not so much about the, the music, too. It was, so, it was more about the attitude and the, and the weird, you know, the way these guys would dress all of a sudden and shit. And it's just like, what are you trying to do? I guess they were trying to be like Alice in Chains. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's we got on those bills and we were just like, what the fuck is this? You know, so, <laughs> I don't know. That's, no, we never got put on any like, you know, like SOD or nothing like that, you know? Yeah. It, it's always. Been cool. Yeah. I, I think you guys, you guys kind of, especially on that period, I imagine, like seeing the live footage on, on the documentary from that era, I think, I don't think there's a single bill in the world that you guys couldn't have just fit in on like just like walked in and taken over well you know like one of the last tours we did with with tom in europe we we went out of our way to ask for um we put it on the on the thing our writer we wanted to either play with a goth band every show or <laughs> or performance art yeah we wanted performance art just because it mixed it up and um it blew people's minds you know it's like there's really nothing worse than going to see a band and they're three of the exact same bands. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, who, who wants to see that? And it was like really, really cool playing with like, you know, in like performance art we had, they, they did it. <clears throat> we had like German, like performance artists, like open for us. And it was like so killer. I loved it. What was the wildest thing you saw on that tour that you remember? Like performance art wise. Um, <laughs> it was in Germany and, uh, this this like it was we we got like two for the price of one. It was a gothic performance artist guy. Oh, awesome! They came, they came up there with like these guys were like you know had the cool smoke and the lights and all this stuff, and they were like these um, animal rights people, and they were all dressed like in uh like smocks like a doctor smocks with masks on, and they came up there. They were kind of like new bot in a way. They came up there with power tools, but they had like a cow's head, like a huge cow's head. And they had this like chainsaw and they were like, it was mic'd out and they were saying about, you know, we are all meat. Because I was having this guy translate. I was like, what is he saying? What is he saying? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, this is my brother, the cow. We are all meat. 
and he took this chainsaw and started like going through the brain and shit was flying all over the place. And he pulled the skull apart and took out this brain, this raw cow brain, and slapped it in this dish and put like salt and pepper on it. And he goes, he goes, when you go to McDonald's, this is what you eat. This is what you eat. And he goes, who would want to do this? And this punk with the Mohican raised his hand and jumped up on stage and grabbed a handful of raw brains and shoved it in his mouth and just <laughs> It just totally blew their whole thing. They were like, you know, like, well, I guess that didn't work. And he's like, yeah, the crowd just loved it. They're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a very good tip then. Let's all just get performance art to open up for us. That sounds awesome. Well, it really is the same. You know, if you want to think about what you're eating, you know, whatever, bratwurst or bloodwurst, all this stuff, and then you got this raw, it's basically the same thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, you might as well just chase it down and grab it while it's alive and start chewing on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the middle of a show, I don't know if you've cleaned your hands enough to really be eating with them, but, you know, I think that's the last thing that guy was worried about at that point. Oh, yeah. He was like some <laughs> crusty search and destroy guy. Um, <laughs> when uh, Does it ever surprise you how much of your music was embraced by metal bands? Like, I mean, like, you know, so many people have probably been introduced to you through like that machine head cover or that Pantera cover. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I really don't know. I don't know why that, you know, I always thought we were, a, you know, it's, it's weird because I would, there was a time where I would just say, people would ask, you know, Oh, you're in a band. What kind of band? And I would just proudly say punk. Yeah. I'm in a punk band. But then when that got diluted and didn't mean the same thing, I would say like, you know, hard rock and they would say what does that mean i was like you know like motorhead like hard rock mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um so yeah i i don't you know for to have i don't know why i don't know why um i guess it's like universal i guess they, they you know the, the bands i mean machine heads good they have some really good songs and pantera you know they can stop i kind of know that the story about pantera about why they covered it supposedly i guess they were doing a thing with kerrang magazine and our our buddy morat was interviewing them and he was like fuck with them he was like you know fuck with him about being glam and this and that And he's like why don't you guys like toughen up and do stuff like this and he actually gave the guys like a, a tape <laughs> and they you know so then they were doing this and you know that's that's what that's what I heard from like different people and um, they, they were I mean it wasn't like they were just like listening to their you know collection and thought oh this is a great song they yeah kinda, it was kind of like yeah. <laughs> so so yeah more power to them I you know and honestly honestly some of that stuff you know before I I know how Pantera started and I know where they wound up but man at one time they were a unit man those guys were all like firing like a machine they were like you know. You might not really care for the songs, and uh, not all of them is everybody's, you know, full of cereal. But uh, they were fuck, they were they were tight. Oh, oh, absolutely, and like yeah, separating the art from the artist um, and, and things like that at times. But yeah, that that is like some of the hardest music ever made, and not as good as the original, but you know, definitely not a bad cover. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what? Actually, they did on their breakdown at the end of it, where they where they did the the stop was kind of cool. I was like, "Wow, we should have thought of that." <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah, it's like somebody taking something, 
not necessarily making it better, but adding something that um, you know, I tip my hat to him. You know, was that a weird call to get in like 1994? I guess the first place that came out was on the Crow soundtrack, right? Yeah, and it was cool. I was I was totally happy with it. I was like, yeah, uh, it was it was like you know because at that time they were a huge band, and mm-hmm. it was like, of course, yeah, we definitely do it. It's like you know. <clears throat> having whatever you know like neil young cover one of your songs or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i think a neil young cover of a of the badge would be something i would most certainly look forward to hearing i can almost see i can almost picture it in my head i can almost hear it you know i could definitely hear it too i think i i think you know and it certainly would be a lot better than some of those neil young songs from the 90s that's for sure like piece yeah. of crap <laughs> um but where, what about the epitaph deal how did that thing come about um, with the field of darkness, yeah. The issue? Well, you know, all those records were um, the deal kind of came through, like like the sub pop one, the epitaph one, whatever other weird European things. Um, some guys in the band, you know, um, the band kind of stopped playing, and, and some guys kind of like took it upon themselves to like uh, sell everything they, they could get their hands on at the time. They were kind of desperate, and. Um, we really didn't have anything to do with it. We, really? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we heard about it and we were mad. <laughs> like me and Tom wanted to like, you know, take care of his business. But, you know, I guess these guys put in a couple of years. They weren't like original people, but they put in a couple of years and they figured that they were owed something. So they, uh, you know, doled it out. And that's kind of why I'm not playing with them anymore. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. People... <clears throat> Musicians aren't the most trustworthy people in the world. No, that's certainly true. <laughs> it's funny because like Epitaph did put you on a comp too. Like that's got to be once again like I imagine up there with with the badge and and the cover of the badge. I mean, and the Machine Head cover is like one of you know that was my introduction to Poison Idea. If I'm being honest, was the, through that Epitaph compilation that they put out, and it was just like the song just stands out so much in the sea of the rest of the record. Um, but that, that thing must have sold like tons and tons of copies, and I can't imagine I was the only one that heard about you guys through that thing. Wow, that's incredible because I've, you know, I don't think I've ever, ever gotten a statement ever from Epitaph. <laughs> I swear to God, I swear to God, that's, I'd never, I've never gotten any kind of statement from Epitaph about anything. Well, I, you know what I found through some uh, weird music business shenanigans of my own that my band was now on Epitaph last year uh, for one of our old records. So I will ask them if they should. I should tell them they should got to reach out to you for that compilation. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, we did a, a we played on the radio station here in Portland, KBOO, and they did a compilation. Um, Swimming in puddles or whatever, drinking from puddles, and it was on Kill Rock Stars. And every year, Kill Rock Stars, they send me a huge packet and an email, and, and they're friendly as shit. They're like, "Hey, brother, you know, here's your seven cents. Here's your here's your twelve cents. It's like great doing business <laughs> with you." And they're so friendly, and they're so happy, and they're so nice, and they're so honest. And well, honest—I don't know about honest. Twelve, twelve cents is right, but they do give me all the statements and, yeah. and all the all the things. And I was like, "Wow, these guys!" I'm like, "Why, why even bother?" You know, it's like, yeah, I, I forgot we were even on that record. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, some people are, you know, I run a label, and um, 
I, I just send people records. I send them boxes of records. I'm here, you know. My, my PR sucks. My distribution <laughs> sucks. I can't get distributed anywhere. But, you know, here, take them to your shows and send them out, you know. Like, good luck. I'll, you know, so. <laughs> well, I guess that speaks to, like, the fact that you still love music, you know. Like, this is not, you know, once again, like, as it keeps coming back to, you are the fan's fan when it comes to music. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I did that compilation, you know, mm-hmm. on my label, because I think it was the best bands in Portland. Mm-hmm. And I I approached a lot of other bands, you know, like like Red Fang and stuff, and they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, thing, you know, yeah, we'll get back to you." And they never got back to me. And, and and some people were, you know, but some people like that that comp I put out had, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like big Portland bands. I mean, the Eyelids I think are great. I mean, they're really good. Fernando's great, and and these people just said, "Here, of course, we'll work with you. We'd be honored." We, you know, we know you're a fan. Here's a song. You know, Richard Meltzer, just like, here. You know, these people, I was like, thanks, man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess I guess we all stick together. The people who are, you know, the in this in this family, we all stick together. And the, and the other ones, uh, they got to they gotta meet us on the way down the ladder because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll be standing at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also... Uh, Another place that uh, was weird to kind of see you guys was on that uh, on that compilation that Fat Records put out, short music for short people, which is uh, a, yeah. a, a, like a hundred bands, two hundred bands on a CD. Yeah, doing doing the uh, thirty second, like forty second songs, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, was that? <laughs> yeah. Go on. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, was that like, was that something that? came out of just you know them being fans of you as well or was that something that because like you guys weren't active in 99 right like it was like you guys got back together again in 2000 right um that that was when um chris and dean from the original the first three or four records chris tense dean johnson um they came back well what happened was um we broke up with with the, the the rocker guys, you know, mm-hmm. and um, then I was hanging around Tom, and he goes, "We should get together and play a New Year's show just for the original band, you know, the the Pick Your King band." So we got back together with those four guys. Um, we played a show, played a couple shows, went to Seattle. <laughs> when we went to Seattle, Tom said, um, "I don't like going to, I don't like driving, I don't like being on the road. I don't, I'd rather stay in my, you know, whatever." So we got another guitar player, Ian Miller, who's a like a rockabilly guy now. He's like just an amazing guitar player. And we did a whole session, a whole session as this four piece with Chris Tens, Dean Johnson, Ian Miller, and me. And that one song came off that. Did that session but, ever come out? No, I'm still sitting on that. That's like twelve oh. that's like twelve songs. Oh, that'd be awesome to hear the rest. Is it all like new songs too, like from that era? Yeah, they're all new songs and they're all really fast songs. It's, we, I think we threw, gave like three of them Tang for that Xerox Frustrates record, that single that Tang yep. did. Yeah. Yeah, so they're all just like, they all sound like, uh, kind of like Kings of Punk. They're all really fast and th- those those guys happen to really dig the California punk stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah the adolescence heavy dirt type shit. And so they, it's all really, really precise and really tight. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I still got that. I'd like to – shit, I should do that. Now that you, t- now that you remind me, I'd like to <laughs> pull that out of the closet. Count me in. You've already sold one right here. I, I can't wait to hear that. That sounds amazing. Cool. Well, you know what? When I, when I start to get a master, I'll, I'll send you in advance. I'll so. love it. Love to hear it. Like it's it's. Are you sitting on a lot more stuff? Like it seems like you're a band that, you know, documented key moments. But did you try and document like a lot of live shows? Is there a lot of tapes that you're sitting on at this point? No, I mean, like you know, when we did Feel the Darkness, I went back over the master tapes, and um, there was like one song that we did we left off the record, but all the uh, like the B sides and the alternative mixes and stuff like that. Um, there's yeah, we we pretty much we would just dole the songs out to uh, you know we we would go in the studio and record an album and then we'd throw a couple of, like covers or whatever, and um, that's how the you know the, all the whatever the covers went all over the place. On you know pajama party we assembled them all, but but actually there's um there's enough songs again that we could do pajama party part two because there's other covers like you know we did like germs we did like american leather that's never been out before oh yeah so we did we did a lot of stuff but um yeah pretty much everything besides this there's things here and there but um you know how would you guys pick the covers that you're going to do was it just like based on what you kind of were into because you know it is all kind of over the map what you did yeah like green eyes yeah 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 well i mean like we listened to and stuff that we dug and, and you usually we'd be sitting around drinking listening to music and like that's a great song we should cover that i was like really it's like yeah we used to um we used to uh open this one song when we first started before we even did um pick your king we would um start with uh god what's that song interstellar overdrive by pink floyd <laughs> to start this song and we would do it for like eight counts and then we would like kick into this ultra fast punk rock song and it would just blow people's minds because they were like what the fuck is it you know so so that just shows that we've been into like this weird shit forever you know because we would do all sorts of crazy stuff and um and uh there's like i think we did understand by gi that we never released and that came out really good and um you know like american leather and um you know the just all sorts of stuff. It's just whatever, just sitting around, you know, listening to like Why Die or something. Like, oh, that's a great song. We should cover that, you know? Wait, you mean the band Why Die? Oh, yeah. They were great. They they're, were great. They're fucking incredible. Like, that's amazing. Like, were you, you guys were into, into them back then? Oh, yeah. When that first single came out, of course. So is that, once again, just through reading Max and Rock and Roll that you're hearing about that? Because I think that band was like completely obscure, it felt like, until you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Well, you know what? Maybe that was our world. And that's why we felt like such outsiders because to <laughs> us, that was like, we could like quote the lyrics to each other and stuff and like, like laugh about it. But like the rest of the world, they, no one knew what, what that was, you know, yeah. our, fr- our friends did because, and we did because that's what got us off. And that's what we would, you know, blast constantly, you know? Well, it's like, it, to me, that's, you know, uh, well, the greatest record out of Philadelphia of all time, but like one of the great hardcore records ever. And oh. like, just so obscure. That's funny. <laughs> Cause I think they only did 500 back then too. Right. So like, you know, I, I guess once again, it just shows, you know, the level of, uh, 
like you said, you guys were creating your own world with your own hit records. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why I kind of got sour grapes now about Portland because at one time it was our little private club and stuff. And, you know, we had our friends here and we did our own thing and, and, and that's the secret got out and, uh, you know, going to see mud honey and the scientist tonight and it sold out. And I'll bet you there's not too many people there. I know, you yeah. know, yeah. I go to this sold out show and there's, I look around and I don't see any of my friends there. It's like, I don't know any of these people who, uh, excuse me, you're standing in my way. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like punk and hardcore. Like I remember like the mass exodus to move to Portland that happened in punk and hardcore. And it's always like, Punk and hardcore is the liking of gentrification, is like the first thing that moves in before the Starbucks and the, the Whole Foods. Do you think people actually like watch that and study that and like, you know, find the hot spots that are going on and like shoot for that? Or is that just like just the way it is? I, I think it, it I think it just kind of like almost is like a feeding thing, right? Like the punk kids will move in and open their like venue. And then, then the the bookstore will open across the street, and then the vegan restaurant, and then, then then you know the Starbucks opens a few months later. It just seems like, I don't know. It seems like something I've seen happen in a, quite a few neighborhoods over the years, especially in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. Well, Toronto. I mean, Toronto's always had a fantastic scene, as far as I'm concerned. It it de- it definitely has. It's but it's it's a huge city. But it's funny because like you think about. I just actually interviewed these this group of people that the other day that wrote that have written a book about hardcore in Toronto in the mid '80s, and it had an incredible punk scene, and certainly in the last few years has a, a very kind of well documented kind of hardcore scene. But like the hardcore scene in the mid '80s, there's not a lot that got out, like other than Youth Youth Youth, right? Like LP wise or, or uh-huh. vinyl wise. So it just seems like I don't know. It's got it has like it's. Uh, it starts and stops over the years as far as like stuff in Toronto. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Like I, it's funny. They were speculating on a bunch of different things. I think it's because we have a massive mute, real music industry here. Like when I say real music industry, I mean mainstream music industry. And, And I think like a lot of the resources and a lot of attention gets focused onto that. Um, you know, like people said it was because most of the people in Toronto didn't have enough money to put out records back then. But I don't know. It just feels like it's something more to more than that. Like there was something going on in the mid 80s. Maybe it was people being drawn to like, you know, metal because we had a really good metal scene here or but it just wasn't as many hardcore records coming out. Huh. Yeah. Well, I, I can see your point with the people. Yeah, that is true about the exodus of punks to this, you know, I always heard that, you know, for the last whatever, like when I'm um, like resist and defiance, mm-hmm. those bands started in Portland that, that, um, you know, we would like go to Japan or wherever, you know, Bristol <laughs> and these people were like, Oh, you're from Portland. Like, Oh, and they would, you know, and, and I would see the Portland people totally emulating those people. But these people over there were just looking <laughs> Portland, like they were the, you know, wearing the shoestrings around the foreheads and stuff and they love that stuff and I was just like I think you guys started this stuff like you know 30 years ago like Chaos UK and stuff it's like you guys started this stuff why it's like just like kind of Xeroxed and over the time but they like Portland so uh 
there was a time when Portland was the crust capital of the world, you know, the the the, the D beat stuff. But that that's when also when this like like tragedy was started moving here mm-hmm. and um, the band, you know, uh, you know whatever Brad Boatwright project of the week is. There's like a lot of great people who uh, are like full of just talent that came here and can do whatever you know. So that's we're we're lucky in that sense, you know. Well, it's Sorry, you brought up like Bristol and like yeah, the cider punk capital of the world, and I have to correct myself. In the last episode, I misquoted Simon Harvey when he was talking about the song "Discontent." Uh, he told me I thought back then that it was about Japanese hardcore, but he insists now that he actually said that it was your guys' answer to that UK stuff, like ENT or or like Chaos UK or all that stuff that was happening in the UK. Is that was was that the influence on Discontent? No, but you know what? Now that you say that, <laughs> bring that back up. I can, I can totally hear ENT in that. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But, but I, I didn't have a call and response. I didn't have another <laughs> you know, guy next to me screaming along. <laughs> I wish I would have. That would be great. But uh, yeah, I can totally hear that now. That's that's really funny because I, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there, I'm. Better serve for not misquoting them. Yeah, well, you, well, you know, the, the Japanese stuff is like they—they they just kind of—I mean, just like everybody copies everybody. It's like I—I don't know. I've never really known any bands that are really—I don't know. I'm not—I'm not going to get into this. This would be too. People are like, you know, say I'm talking shit if I started saying like, you know. Well, I just think people—people people copy everybody. It's—it's it's like you know, they're—they're—they're they're, they're influenced by other you know people, and, and and they take it and they run with it and they make it their own. They put their own stamp on it, and they you, know, and that's obviously the way Portland is, the way Japan is, the way um, you know a lot of places are. South America right now, you know, Mexico City and stuff. Uh, you know, wow, casualties are still still huge down there. You know. Oh yeah, we played with Anti Flag in Mexico City. And there were like thirteen thousand people singing along to every word. That's great. That's so great. Are they Christians? No, 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 not at all. No, it felt, but it, it, you, it, they would have died for them like they were Christ that day, though. Wow, that's so crazy. And, yeah, I know they're from Philadelphia, right? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah, I know those guys. They're yeah, they're a good band. They're, but the, weren't they on that that label, the the Christian label? No, they were on New Red Archives, and uh, no, they were never on Tooth and Nail. If that's the label you're thinking, yeah, they're on Nikki Garrett's label, right? Yeah, they were on they were on um, New Red Archives, and then they were on Fat Records for a while, and they were on uh, their own label for a while, and then eventually a major label type thing too. But yeah, in Mexico City, like it, the 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 bands that they love, they really love, and it's amazing. You're in Mexico City, you're in like a super mainstream place. And all of a sudden, you're hearing like some super deep cut Cure song on the radio, and like everyone in the place is like nodding their head. It's like this is my kind of town. Wow, that's that is great. My friend's going there tomorrow morning, and he's asking me like, "Where should I go?" What? And I was like, "I've only been there a couple times. I really don't know." He's like, "Well, where's the markets? Where's the good record stores? Where's the cool this and that?" And I'm like, "Dude, I just fly in and take care of business." And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So. Yeah, you could help me. Like, uh, well, it's, it's amazing because, like, when you're in a band, you never get to see shit. You know, like you're, like you say, you fly in, do business, and then you leave. Um, right. But when I was doing that wrestling show and I was down in Mexico for a minute, like, yeah, in Mexico City, I mean, there's some incredible stuff to see. There's a market, I believe it's called El Chapo, 
that's like a record, a punk rock metal like market. That's every Saturday, I believe. And it's just okay. people selling records on the streets. And it is awesome. Okay. I'm, I'm writing that down right now so I can send you. I strongly recommend anyone who's a record collector hit that place up. I got the Masakari 68 LP, which is one of my like, you know, rare white whales that I've always wanted from Mexico. How much did you pay for it? Uh, like, that's the thing is because since Discogs has come out, you kind of have a universal price guide for records that everyone can check. So, you know, it was it was a, a hundred some odd. I forget how much. Like, you know, equivalent of, of Canadian dollars, a hundred some odd dollars Canadian. But I just have never seen one, you know, and so I had to be down there and to be able to get it, it was like, I'm very happy to do it with this money. And I think it still would have been cheaper than if I had tried to buy it on the internet. And what's the fun yeah. in buying on the internet? Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, that's, um, I, I, I kind of like, it's kind of a, a damned if you damned, damned if you don't. And, and I like that a lot. I like being able to get records like that if you want, but it's. It does just go V or whatever, and asking them in person, you know, and having you know, trading something and stuff like that. You know, yeah, send me some ABBA singles or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> those days are gone. You know, that's gone. Now it's all, it's all, yeah. All right, yeah. Because there's stuff that I'd like to get. You know, it's all, all crazy stuff. It's, but it's, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have everything I, I want. There's, you know, whatever. It's like I have every Smith record that was ever made. You know, now, now I'm collecting like DJ copies and promo Italian promo copies. <laughs> Do I really need that? Do I really need that to like, you know, like Italian, like, you know, <laughs> stop me if you've heard this one before. It's like one sided pro, you know, it's like, I don't need this shit. It's like, you know, it is true. You know, the more you possess, the more possesses you. And it's like, I don't, I'm not trying to be a minimalist and I don't want to like, you know, walk around with a backpack and a, you know, pair of boots, but, uh, I just, I don't know, man. It's just like, I, the music. It's the music. Yeah. It's that's what that's what it is. That's that's all I care about. And that's as much as I hate the internet and, and like YouTube and and the downloads and stuff. Like you know, Lars Ulrich ten years ago flipping out about it. Like we've talked about this before. I can still find that stuff. I can still just look it up, and there it is. You know that first, you know, that first pressing of that record. And this is you know. There it is. I think so it's. I want, yeah, go ahead. No, I think it's different now because like everything's accessible. You can look at that record, but there's still, I don't know. Like, and I think you guys tapped into that real early with record collectors or pretentious assholes. There's something about the artifact too, and like that sense of touching history, and like knowing that that copy that you got, and maybe it's because I wasn't there for when most of the records that I hold most dear were being played live, or you know. But it's the sense of being able to kind of like touch history oh yeah yeah because you know like right now i'm sitting downstairs in my cave and i have like like this adverts back from the dead single yeah like like right in front of me like laying on the floor <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and i pick it up and i smell it and i look at it and it's beautiful it's a beautiful piece of art mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's great and it looks cool even though it's on rca and um, you know, all my Danger House singles right there in the little box, and and all this stuff. So that's that stuff's, it's beautiful. It's it is like it's like a, it's like art. It's like collecting art. But um, I don't know. There's there has to be a limit eventually. You know, you really don't. I know you're you're, 
that's what this whole show is about is collecting and, 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 and it's fascinating and it's great and I love it. But you know, I love alcohol too, and that's not good for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think collecting can also be just as unhealthy. Like I know people, myself included, as I sit surrounded by records that God, if I had spent money on other things more responsibly, like I would be in a lot better position with my children than I am now. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's art, like the danger house singles, especially like when you hold those and you look at those and you, you, you get the sense of design and just the fact that these were like the people that put this out were actually putting those records together. You know, it's just, you know, or, or like, you know, pick your King, you know, when you get a like, copy of that seven inch, right? I can remember when I got like, finally got a clear vinyl before I found out the black vinyl was weirdly somehow actually the first press, but like, getting that and seeing like the handwritten note on the lyric sheet about where to send money for extra copies and all this kind of stuff. Like it, you, you know, it put me in a time and a place that I couldn't have been in otherwise. So, you know, that's almost priceless. That is true. That's like, that's like Picasso paying for his coffee with like, you know, doing a sketch on a napkin or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there's no way I could ever build a time machine and be there, but I can, definitely hold in my hand a record that was and and cherish it like i was there yeah i just, i just think i think if, if you're if you're in the right state of mind and you're, and you're a decent person and stuff you can you know i you know i live in a town where you know the sonics and and paul revere and the raiders or whatever and, and, and i feel like I, I never saw them at d street corral but but i you know i appreciate that music so much and stuff it, it's like I know it. I can I can hear the you know, the, the clicks on the on the songs before they even start. I, I just yeah, it's like it's like I think if you're if you're part of it and you meld into it, your whole you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. You, I just I don't like people who are just like you know these who like wear Ramon shirts and don't even know they're a band. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, well. <laughs> that's the internet, right? Like that's where now you don't have to, you know, there, you don't have to put any investment in cause it's all at your fingertips. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but, <laughs> um, uh, the other thing that's kind of come up since you, I, I last talked to you was just like how you guys were such an imposing band back in the day. Like you were the band that was intimidating for a lot of people back then, like not like bullies or anything, but just like a band that everyone knew not to fuck with. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Um, well, I mean, there were bands that were a lot, like, you know, scarier than us, obviously. I mean, the East Coast bands were, you know, we would never, like, fuck with them. <laughs> or, or the Los Angeles bands who would, like, you know, make people disappear and stuff. But um, it's just our background is where we came from. We, you know, like I, I said earlier about the sub pop thing where, like, Tom's saying, you know, yeah, sign your check over to us. You know? Yeah, yeah. It just got to, it got to, be a, you know, we had this thing once with, uh, I think it was Alchemy Records, and um, they just kept fucking us around. So we would, you know, we went to Rough Trade in San Francisco. We played down there, and we went down there, and uh, a couple of us went in the store, and one guy stood outside, and like I said, you know, the store's closed <laughs> to people. We went in there and started, like, kind of breaking stuff up a little bit and smashing stuff up. And said, you know, tell blah blah we want to see him, and we kind of fucked the store up a little bit. And 
you know, it's just a, yeah, I'm not happy about anything we did back in those days. Uh, you know, you get older and you get kind of, uh, kind of regretful. But, uh, but yeah, we, we didn't want to, you know, we would burn down a house if we had to. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, the thing with about alchemy, you know, you're certainly not the uh, first band that's been on this show that said that there were some irregularities in the financial end of that label. That, that thing about that label, like right from that first compilation on through, it's like they were putting out the best of the best of that era. Oh, yeah. Like you guys, Rich Kids on LSD, Neurosis, uh, The Melvins, Virulence. Like, it's 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 like unbelievable, the, the ear. And just like, you know, unfortunately, maybe not the mind for the math of it, but the ear for picking the bands of that time. Holy God. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. I really, you know, that was a great label. And it, um, like I say, it was just kind of the the right place at the wrong time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like it feels like, I don't know, it must, it must have been like pre, I guess, Nirvana exploding, like a very interesting time for like American underground music because things must have been, getting pretty big right like bands were playing big shows but there probably wasn't as enough mainstream attention on it at that point yeah and a lot of people just just gave up they're just like you know anybody with any common sense would just go you know what i'm gonna go back to school and i mean the guy in bad Religion did it and whoever and um and the people who really really just believed in it and didn't care really had the no future aspect just yeah <laughs> I'll just I'll just stick with it, you know, and that's um, you know, yeah, it was it was, and then and then the the Nirvana thing blew up, and then still no one got signed, you know. Yeah, yeah. What did were you a fan of Nirvana like Bleach era or or even like Nevermind? Well, you know what i I heard Nirvana a few times, and then um, there was this radio station in Portland that actually played that kind of stuff, and I was in my car and I heard um, about a girl mm-hmm. and I pulled over in my car to listen to it. I was driving my girlfriend's car actually. And I pulled over and I was like, who the fuck is this? And they didn't announce who it was. And I had to um, find out. I had to go to a record store and sing the song. <laughs> and um, they, they were like, there are a lot of places were like, I don't know. Then I went to this like independent punk store and they're like, Oh, that's this that band that just put out that thing. And I was like, cause I knew their first single. I knew that was it blue. Uh, love buzz. The love buzz single. Yeah. Love buzz, love buzz. Yeah. I heard that. And, um, so then I, I heard, you know, when about a girl just came out on that record. So I was like, wow, these guys are actually really good. And then I started listening to them more and more. And then I heard an advanced copy of, well, hole came to Portland and they stayed at my apartment with Courtney and stuff, because I knew Courtney, and she played me um, an advanced copy of their record somehow. Mm-hmm. I think that was it. And um, they were doing a record release show up in Seattle at this uh, record store. They were playing live for Nevermind when it just came out. Like, they were doing an in-store record sh- show. And I remember these people in Portland wanted me to go, and I was just like, ah, I've heard that record. I was like, it sounds too, you know, whatever. I mean, I really like uh, Green Day when I when they, they first came out. I saw them when they first came out, and I really like Green Day. And yeah. I like, you know, stuff. But um, 
Nirvana, it took me a while. It took, you know, I liked their first record. Didn't care for their first single. I liked their first album. And then when I heard Nevermind, it was really weird. I didn't really care for it. It sounded too overproduced. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And then pff, they fucking blew up. They're a giant. <laughs> yeah. They're a giant. And then I was like, well, maybe I'm, you know, wrong. You know what? That same thing happened with the Foo Fighters. They came to Portland and they played like their first and second show. They did a benefit, a benefit thing for me as Zapata in Seattle. And then a thing like a come home safe thing in Portland. It's Satyricon mm-hmm. with the, they played in this little teeny club in Portland with the presidents of the United States. And, um, I read, I, uh, wrote a review for Kerrang magazine and I slammed them. I said, <laughs> I said they were horrible. They would never amount to anything. These guys are horrible. I go, they got, you know. <laughs> and they obviously had to read it because they still hate me about it before it. Really? Then, oh, yeah. Yeah. They you're, just played here like a month ago. And I, I know that they're guitar tech. And yeah, like, Sean, you're old roadie, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, can I go to the show? And he's like, uh, Dave doesn't want you to show up tonight. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, watch what you say about the. No, how many? How long have they been around? <laughs> so long. So you that must been a vicious, vicious review. I well, it was just like, eh, you know, it was kind of a lazy review. I might have left towards the end. You know, I kind of phoned it in. I was like, eh, it's like all right. Well, but but by that time, I was a big Nirvana fan. I, I loved Nirvana and stuff, and I was like, oh, this guy's trying to be Nirvana, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> Man, he must have been like looking so forward to you reviewing it and read it, and it just must have crushed him for him to hold that grudge to this day. I guess, I guess. That's a long time and a lot of success later, you know? Oh, throw me a bone. <laughs> I'd say I do agree. I do agree. I think, because I think I even talked to him about Poison Idea being amazing on that tour we did with them. Oh, yeah? I definitely punished Sean daily about you guys. Like yeah, Sean's Sean. a great guy. Sean's oh, a great, absolutely great guy. Like it, he was so nice to us, and such a, you know, like it, the whole crew was very welcoming to us as a band. But him especially, once we found out about the Poison Idea connection, it was like every day, like story time with Sean. I have to admit that's how I found out about the Super Beer, and oh, uh, and the plan to send one to Ian Mackay. That's hilarious. <laughs> So that was my source on that one. I have to, I betrayed my source on that. I'm afraid. That's all right. I love, I love Sean. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. Well, Jerry, I don't want to keep you because you got to go out tonight and and, and no, rock. Hey, Damien, really fast. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but uh, we can we can burn through the hard on thing really fast. Oh yeah, want. I would love to. I thought I thought you to, oh you covered that when you told that story about drinking on the thing. But no, I would absolutely. So, but Jerry, so let me. I'll I'll get back into it. So Jerry, I I got to ask you one more question before I let you go rock out to one of Australia's greatest bands which is about one of other one of Australia's other greatest bands that you brought up earlier the hard ons and that record that you did with them how did that whole I guess friendship uh, collaboration whatever come about well they toured the states it was either their first tour or their second tour and we were huge fans of theirs and we got hooked up with a tour with them and we played like um salt lake city denver boise we played a bunch of shows portland seattle we played a bunch of shows with them and um 
I mean, they were fantastic. Obviously, they were great. Then we went, you know, honestly, I can't remember if it was before. It must have been after. Then we went. And the first show we ever did, that show that's on the the CD at the ULU, that was us opening for the hard-ons. <clears throat> we played that show um, at the London University London Union. We opened for the hard-ons there. And after that, <clears throat> we were just, you know, best friends. They were, like, incredible. I love those guys. They're so, so fantastic. Then they, you know, they're huge in Australia. And they would do the, these big day outs every year. And one year they had Henry Rollins come down and sing for him. Mm-hmm. And they recorded some stuff with him, whatever, that ACDC song. Then the next year they thought it would be smart <laughs> to have me come down and, and be the front guy. And uh, it was crazy. I, you know, of course, flew into Australia, went straight to the drug house. And they couldn't find me for days. <laughs> and they were freaking out. They were freaking out. But um, the shows were great. The shows were fantastic. The shows were, I mean, opening for Iggy, opening for the Bad Seeds, Sonic Youth, all these bands with the hard-ons. Was, I mean, those guys were like a machine behind me. You know, they were so cool. And um, they were just, they were great guys. It was, it was probably one of my best experiences in my life, playing with those guys, because I could do whatever I wanted on stage. I could tell them to, like, you know, take it down, stop, you know, do whatever, and cool and the one great story about that tour is uh we were on this the promoter put us on a boat to go around sydney harbor before the the tour it was like the bad seeds carter the unstoppable sex machine (laughs) (laughs) just how long ago that was um iggy pop sonic youth mud honey helmet hard-ons um all sorts of bands. Oh, be suburban again. So we're on this boat. We're going around the harbor, this huge yacht type thing. And I saw Mick Harvey sitting at the bar by himself. And I'm drunk. <laughs> so I go up to him and I start, you know, talking to him like he's my friend. I'm like, you know, you're, you're a great musician. Everything you touch is so cool. You can play this. You can play that. I, you just blow my mind. I love this, you know, the tone of your guitar. Your on, on this song, I do this, and I, and I just I talk for like five minutes about what I, you know, this song, that song, this song, the stuff you did on this and this and this and blah 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 blah. And he's just sitting there looking at me, shaking his head. Then he finally goes, he goes, mate, I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> like that. And he's just like, he's like. Like, I'm not Mick Harvey. He's like, and he was totally fucking with me. He's just like, and it just crushed me. I was just like, oh, you're such a dick. Huh? And I walked back and I was like telling the guys in Mudhead, I'm like, they're like, oh, you're talking to Mick Harvey. What was that like? And I was like, he's a jerk. He just told me, he like pretended like he wasn't him. He's like being blah, blah, blah. And he's like, they're like, let's throw him over the boat. Let's throw him in the bay. <laughs> And so, so all the guys in Mud Honey were calling him Shark Bait. They're like, Shark Bait, let's throw him in the bay. And we're like, okay, let's do it. As soon as we get around, no one can see us. We're going to throw him in the fucking ocean. <laughs> and man, if he would have went out on the deck and looked, we probably would still be in prison and he'd be dead because we were going to throw him over the boat. We were going to throw Mick Hart in the ocean. <laughs> that's, that's what kids do when they're drunk, you know? <laughs> Man, uh, you know, I think that's a, those guys. I guess you know they're big rock stars in Australia. So 
It sucks to hear, but I guess it went to his head. Oh, definitely, definitely. Did he play with like Kylie Minogue and all that shit? Uh, did he later on play? Yeah, maybe he did do some stuff. I'm sure because like, well, like you he, know, P, PJ Harvey and stuff. I think yeah. he played with everybody. Yeah, like that's definitely the Nick Cave did that duets record, and there's like one with PJ Harvey, one with Kylie Minogue, one with Shane McGowan. Murder Ballads, yeah. I think it's on the Murder Ballads record. Yeah, but Mick Harvey, I mean, he he played with like I think maybe Matt Johnson, maybe he played with like a lot of people. He was he's like, you know, maybe I don't know. Um, God, what's that guy's name? He played with a lot of people. He's he's I mean, he's an incredible musician. He's he's brilliant. He's talented. He's great. Just say thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. I'm a. Thank you. I appreciate you know being such a fan that you know these songs and you know the tone of my guitar that I got on this song and stuff. Instead of looking at me like a, you know, in astro space and going, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, guy. You're you know, blah. it's like I, I, I was crying. I felt like an ant. I felt like I was like being crushed under his pointy little shiny boot. You know. Yeah. Well, next time Shark Bait comes to town, I'm going to punish the shit out of him. Knowing this. I'm going to hold you to that. I will punish the shit out of him. I'm going to ask him all about playing in Boys Next Door for like an hour and a half. And even if he says he's not him, I'm just going to talk yeah, to him about the Boys Next Door. That would be great. You've heard, Jerry, you know what I can do when it comes to punishing people I'm interested in. Oh, yeah. I've heard, I've heard it's written on the pyramid walls. Well, you've experienced it now twice. So you, like, so you know that this is not, you know, this is, this is an inquisition that few uh, are can inflict upon someone like I can, you know? So, um, but the other thing before I let you go that I have to ask you about, which I forgot to ask you about last time, which is uh, another band that you brought up earlier, but a band that you guys were kind of the first, I don't want to say discover, but like, you know, the first on board with, which is Turbo Negro. How did that whole relationship start? You know what? I can't remember i do know that i have their first press kit still when they were like weird like kind of rkl type ish okay. and like all had long hair and were jumping around and they wrote me a huge note that said we're coming oh i do probably know. tom happy tom um had grew up kind of had split parents and he grew up in eugene oregon okay Okay, so that's it. So they came here the first tour when they were kind of a like a kind of like an RKL type band, like a rock band. Yeah, they all jumped around, kind of like a Chili Peppers almost. And then they came back again and they hung out with Pig Champion, and he laid the heavy vibe on him, kind of like Manson would, and kind of like turned their minds, kind of like can totally turn their minds. To from being this to that and Tom I give Tom he he laid the juju on them and Turbo Negro changed mm-hmm. and they, they they took Field of Darkness like I say they took Alice Cooper they took you know that sound they if you ever listen to their old old stuff they weren't like that no I know I've got like a bunch of the early I've got the first 7 inch from 88 which I think is the the stuff you're talking about, like the the that vibe, but like you're right, there's such like a a leap that kind of happens uh, when they get to to uh, ask Cobra. Yeah, I don't know what what they said, but uh, Malcolm from Portland and Tom they went to the beach with them. They went to the Portland beach, the Oregon coast, 
<laughs> I think they all dropped acid. And <laughs> it, something happened. Something happened. And um, next time they came through, man, they were um, they had their shtick down. They, they had costumes and they had their stage show and they were like a, a fine-tuned instrument. And they had it down. It was really crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. They went from being like a bunch of stony, hippie-looking like mongrels to being like this fucking, you know, thing. And uh, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. Tom must have. Tom had a way of doing that, you know. He was like Charles Manson. With <laughs> <laughs> uh, a more positive influence than than old uh, Charlie. Oh, he wasn't going to kill anybody. He was. He, yeah. he was. He was just telling him to be your. You know. He was like. He's like. This is the truth. This is the truth. You know. He's like. He's like. We are all free. It's like whatever. You know. All, all that stuff. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> he's like. Look at my eyes. Look at my. Eyes. Like, Can't you see? Like yeah. So it's like no. Um. Yeah, I mean, Manson was a lunatic. <laughs> the, uh, the were you guys kind of aware because you talked about Happy Tom, you know, how he, he grew up in Eugene. But were you aware because I think it's even on the cover of Record Collectors of Akut in Le Glacius or what? Sorry, his Echoes from Asylum is the name of the seven inch. But that was like his like first wave kind of Norwegian hardcore band that he was in. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, we. We, we got like, you know, their first press kit and stuff, and we knew who they were. And they were like friends, fans, buddies, and stuff of ours and stuff. And um, we knew who they were, but um, we never knew that um, they would go on to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, like, I think, like you say, like, I would put, you know, Ask Cobra and, and Feel the Darkness, and, you know, like, there's a handful of other records in, like, the list of the best records from the 90s you know and it's it's only natural that there would be a little bit of that or a lot of that feel the darkness dna in ass cobra yeah well they i mean in that, that record they like completely like lift it's it's a tribute where they just lift lines of our songs like words you know they, they lift like lines from out and, and throw them in their songs but i do that all the time you know mm -hmm. i i rip off morrissey all the time <laughs> 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 which is uh you know something that i don't think a lot of people would guess would be your first lyrical inspiration yeah morrissey you know he's morrissey one of the greats of all time at, at, at writing lyrics that's for sure oh definitely definitely i was listening to the uh queen is dead demos last night and i was like wow this guy's this is really great yeah but, it, it's funny to think about what it would have been like if he had sang in slaughtered in the dogs <laughs> I don't think it would have worked. I've thought about that before, you know, in the nosebleeds and stuff. Yeah. I don't think I think things happen for a reason, and I think, uh, you know, I, I definitely believe that. Yeah, it would be fun to, though to hear those bands with like him doing like kind of I guess like a, I guess like a hard glam style vocal or something. Like I don't know. It'd, it'd be I would I hope one day that some audition tapes circulate. Well, you know, there's this weird like really bad Morrissey. Uh, docudrama thing where he it shows him in his teenage years up until he meets Johnny Marr and it shows him like with you know Linder Sterling and stuff and it's, it's all like you know like a, like a docudrama mm -hmm. and it shows and it shows him playing in a I think Slaughter and the Dogs or uh, the Nosebleeds and he does that one song um, I forgot what it's called either I want a boy for Christmas or build you up buttercup or whatever it is okay and it's, and it's really good it's really good the, the actor 
supposedly like you know they do the song that Morrissey sang with them live, and it's really really good. I should snag that and convert it to MP3 and play it on my show. Yeah, I'd love <laughs> to see that. I, I I saw another terrible docudrama about Morrissey where it's about a woman who's obsessed with them. Came out. A- oh. The, the Latin American chick? Yeah, yeah. Chick. <laughs> or woman, yeah. I know, I know exactly. But that one, and it's got the documentary about um, about Chicano Morrissey fans in Los Angeles. Yeah, I met somebody who, who knew that woman and who, who's like a big Morrissey fan. And they say she like goes to New York and she's like, it goes to all these places and they like know that girl. It's like really crazy. The, the, yeah, that's that's so crazy. Well, good for him because you know, I think his time's kind of a uh, well. Who knows? He, he's uh, I like it. He, he gets a good band behind him all the time. He's smart. He, he you know, the people he has in his corner. That that Boz Bohr, that that guy's incredible. That guitar player is fucking great. Yeah, and you got to figure that that one day, no matter how much they say it's never going to happen, like the only band left that Conchella could throw like millions and millions of dollars to get back together is the Smiths, right? To get him and him and Mar back together at least. Oh my God, would that be something? It would be crazy. Like that's one of those reunions that, you know, I might have to. I can't believe I say this. Go to Coachella for. That would be nuts. That would be nuts to see uh, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson crying in the front row. Yeah, there'd be a lot of celebrities <laughs> crying that day. I think. I think that would be the great unifier to see who would be out there to watch the Smiths. I think the Smiths are one of those bands that, you know, you could be a tough as nail skinhead. Uh, a hard, um, you know, Mexican American gangster, or you know Scarlett Johansson, but we all have a soft spot for Morrissey for some reason. That's weird. strange but true. <laughs> Jerry, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Of course, Damien, my pleasure. Thank you, Jerry, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, there's room for a part three. We got to do a part three. That'll come at, at some point down the line, maybe in person. Maybe finally one can be done in person. But, oh, I hope you enjoyed that. I loved listening to that. And, uh, yeah, that, 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 is, that is one for the ages. That is one indeed for the ages. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Now, you're probably wondering what's coming up next week. Well, next week on the show... Since I have one of my my vocal inspirations on this week, I thought, what better thing to do than to follow it up with one of my, um, I don't know, authority questioning inspirations? Next week on the show, the founder of Canada Land and also the legendary Toronto newspaper, Punch, the underground newspaper for high school kids, What do you hear about this thing? This is an awesome one next week on the show. Jesse Brown. So this is a, uh, this is one for the ages. This is a guy who has definitely turned Canadian media upside down. And back in the day, he turned my little world upside down with his teenage newspaper punch. And, oh, this is a great one. If you are a fan of Canadian media, if you are a fan of, of just, I don't know, shit disturbers. That's that's basically what this is a tribute to. High school shit disturbers. You got to listen next week. This is a great one. Uh, and also, if you are a fan of Canada Land, they are doing their annual fundraiser right now. So head over and support them on their Patreon, what have you. 
and also inundate them with emails regarding starting a, a wrestling podcast hosted by myself. I've been on them about that. But anyway, you'll understand the context for that next week. Uh, there's also an appearance with me on Canada Land, Shortcuts, which is worth listening to. I don't talk about punk that much, I'm sorry. But it is a good precursor because we recorded that just before we recorded this episode. So check that out. And uh, I will be back next week. Hopefully my friends in Canadian media will still talk to me. Uh, But that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been a fun one. Next week's even more fun. Oh, well, I don't want to say more fun, but as fun. Definitely as fun. And then a couple weeks, we we got some fire. We got some real awesome stuff waiting for you guys. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Start a band. Start a fanzine. Start a podcast. To quote the great Tony Urba. And uh, that's it. See you next week. Yeah. Stay safe. Sign your organ donor cards, please.